Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper. Howdy, I am Steve Abramowitz and this is the Mill Creek View podcast. We are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always an interesting person making a positive change in our community. This time, special guest, Jody Barrett. Jody Barrett, you may remember from previous shows, Republican Party is a member of the Tennessee House of Representatives, representing District 69. He assumed office on November 8th, 2022. His current term ends on November 5th, 2024. Barrett ran for election to the Tennessee House of Representatives to represent District 69, won the general election, and graduated from Dixon County Senior High School in 1992, earned a BA in history from Lincoln Memorial University in 1996, and a JD from the University of Mississippi in 1999. His career experience includes working as an attorney. In 2022, Jody won his general 78.4 to 20. That's a landslide by any measure, folks. Uh, you can go back and hear the original show on Jody if you want to know his background, but we're going to just jump right into it today. Get as much time with him as we can on substance. Rep Barrett, how are you today, sir? Doing very well, sir. Thank you for that fine introduction. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on again. Um, it was a pleasure, absolute pleasure to meet your wife, Holly, the other night at the Reagan dinner. Uh, why does she let you do this politics stuff? <laughs> You know, it's a funny story. Of course, you know, you have to go and ask the boss before you jump into something like this. And uh, you know, we kind of debated back and forth as to whether or not I would run for this seat. And when I finally got to the point that I, I'd made the decision and I sat down with her, I said, look, I, I think I have to do this. And uh, she her response was, I know <laughs> so that, that she, was my OK. Does she enjoy being around politics and politicians? Well, I don't know that anybody really truly enjoys this this stuff. I mean, I personally don't necessarily enjoy it, but uh, you know, it's a duty that we we that we feel like we're called to do as a family. Uh, it's not just something I'm doing on my own. Uh, my kids are paying attention and plugged in more than they've ever been to what's going on in state politics as well. And so, uh, as an entire family, it's it's everybody's been all in, very invested. Yeah, that's for sure. All right. Well, I hear she listens to MCV. So, hello. Yeah. Holly, and I hope you uh, you like it. Five-star uh, review, appreciated. So Tennessee Assembly, episode 113. Randy McNally's been there for all of them. Uh, there are 75 Republicans and 24 Democrats. Three of them, the three J's, I call them, because I refuse to liken them to Johnny Cash's band. Um, I get the voice vote thing to save time from roll calls on everything so the left can't delay everything. But... How do you explain it to folks out in Davis about, um, you know, it's not Republicans acting like Democrats being anti-transparency thing. It's an efficiency thing. How are you seeing this? Well, I think there's two parts of it. There is an efficiency thing uh, as far as getting through bills as quickly as possible. And some of these committees, you have 20, 30 members and going through roll calls. I mean, that's going to take for, you know, when you have 30, 40 bills at a time and we only have a limited period uh, during the day that we can fit these in, um, you know, it makes it go faster for us to be able to do the voice votes. But it, the thing is, is that anybody, there's a process in place that anybody that wants to have their vote recorded uh, as a certain way, you can make a note. It's as simple as making a hand gesture to the clerk for a thumbs up or thumbs down uh, to get it noted in the, the record as to how you vote. And so that that would show up 
uh, on the website that you are a no vote or a yes vote on a certain bill. So it, it's not like we're hiding behind this voice, voice vote process. Um, I just think that that for efficiency that it's it's kind of necessary. The, the second part of that is there's probably a little strategy involved as well. Um, you know, I don't think any of us ran for office to shy away from uh, casting a vote one way or the other or having our name beside a yes or a no vote on uh, controversial topics. But I think from a strategic standpoint, especially since with us being in the, the majority, um, you know, certain bills can be put before a committee and ask, ask representatives to be put on record, particularly in a, an election year, that we've seen at the, the congressional level where they pack all this other stuff into a bill that you have to vote no against. And then they turn around and say, well, you voted no that against saving babies or whatever the case may be, but it, that's not really the thing that you're voting against. And so by doing this vote, voice vote process uh, procedure, it eliminates some of that stuff where votes are used against you. Mm, I see. Okay. Um, before I move on, I'm a little distracted. Why do you have a Seahawk jersey behind you? <laughs> well, if, if you'll notice the one above, it's Patrick Willis. Uh, that's his college jersey at Ole Miss, and that's DK Metcalf's professional jersey, another Ole Miss grad. So oh, I went to okay. school at Ole Miss from uh, 96 to 99, so I root for the Rebels. Okay, okay, because, you know, this whole show is based on why Seattle sucks and Tennessee's awesome, but there you have a Seahawk. Okay, but he's not Yeah, but DK Metcalf doesn't suck. No, true. And not a lot of Seahawks don't, but the city does. Okay, you have a bill uh, that you sponsored in committee, HB 7042. Audit each public school. Yes, please. Assess its compliance with all applicable safety laws, rules, and policies designed to ensure the safety of students, staff, and visitors in the event of an active threat or active shooter situation on school premises. Did you know the left's most hated group, the NRA, will do that for free? Well, and, and the secretary, or I'm sorry, our Department of Safety already does that as well. Uh, that was a bill that I had presented during the special session and would have to represent again a refile for this this current legislative session. And the idea is we're, we're putting all of this money uh, into the budget to allow these schools to upgrade their their school safety, but we're not getting a re proper reporting process back to the legislature that tells us who's actually taking advantage of that money or who is refusing to take advantage of that money as we've seen in some of our urban areas. And so the idea of that behind that bill is for the Department of Safety to report back to the legislature, uh, almost like the grading system we have is tell us who's actually doing what they need to do to protect their schools and protect their kids and who isn't so that we can take steps at the legislative level to try to, to change that. Mm, so checks and balance long overdue. And I did, that's a great segue to my next question. Do you think this new A through F grading system they came up with is actually accurate? Because the TCAP showed 30% reading and math at grade level, which is not good, uh, but 45% were A's and B's. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I need to just, we all, I think, as a, as a legislature, need to start digging into the metrics that are being used to, to determine these grades. And, and it's just like any other statistic, right? You, you have lies, damn lies, and statistics. And so if we're going to start putting grades on, on these schools, I want to know exactly what it is that we're grading. Are we grading the performance of the teachers or are we grading, or are we grading the experience of the student? Those are two different things. Uh, and so I'd like to get into the weeds a little bit on that so that we can start nailing down exactly what it is that we're, what feedback we're trying to, to produce. 
Mm. So with the report they just came out with, a work in progress, things have room for improvement or change at least. First yeah, year for it to come out. So there's going to be some tweaks that are going to have to be made for us to, to make sure that we're getting the response that we're actually looking for. Yeah, I'm curious if there's really that many A's. Um, okay. Do you think Cameron Sexton, and I know this is unfair because you have to work with the guy every day, but do you think, well, just January through April, uh, unless there's another special session, do you think he's effective as a leader? There was a poll that just came out recently that only had about 85% negative on all leadership. And so I'm just curious if you think he's doing a good job. Sure. Well, of course, if I were, you know, two years ago and I were on that poll, I'd probably be voting low grade as well. But being in the in the mix now and trying to to turn it around and make sure that we uh, are doing the right things and being efficient, uh, I can see a lot of positive things that the speaker is doing to try to uh, move the state forward in in the right direction. And look, let's be completely honest. Uh, he's dealing with a very vocal minority of people that are doing everything they can possibly think of to make his job impossible. Um, and so from that from that standpoint, and that's not to make excuses for the speaker or or our Republican leadership in, in the House, um, but our job has been made difficult the last couple of years. Yeah, I want to get into that. And you chose the exact right time to get into the mix. Um, without you, that'd be way worse off. But do you think um, he's listening to politics and polls and, and taking into account what the voters in Tennessee want when he does things like that voice vote versus uh, roll call? Do you think uh, he's listening? Do you think he's a listener? He, he absolutely is a listener when it comes to uh, statewide politics and, and political opinion of what's going on with the citizens. As far as taking into consideration what, uh, um, you know, political power brokers are saying, I, I don't get the sense that that Speaker Sexton is that type of guy. Um, when it comes to how the system works and how the House operates uh, and how it's going to function, uh, I think a lot of that has to be thrown out the, the window and we have to look strictly at what is going to allow us to be efficient uh, as a government body and get from point A to point B in four short months. I mean, we right. only have four months of the year that we're in session and we've got to get the state's business done in that short period of time. And it's in, impressed upon him to be the person to keep that train moving down the track. So I, I think he's doing everything he can to make sure that we're doing our job. Yeah, yeah, that's the way they like to roll. They play that calendar really well. Okay, yep. so again, Tennessee has a super majority in the House, one of the only states left that does. I like that. My listeners like that, I'm pretty sure, except the Media Matters types uh, trying to trip me up on Twitter. Uh, but for example, there's a bill filed HB 1626. Are you familiar with that one? Uh, probably not by bill number. You can fill me in on, on what it is. Okay, uh, Rep. Afton Bin from Nashville. Uh, you were a newbie last year. She's a newbie this year. I don't even know her name yet. How do you say it? Afton Bin? Uh, Afton Bain, I believe, is how the last name's uh, pronounced. Bain of the Republicans' existence, right? Enacts the Fundamental Right to Reproductive Health Care Act, effectively guaranteeing pregnant people across Tennessee would have access to a variety of reproductive health treatments, including abortion care. You could have quorum if every Democrat in Tennessee got on a bus and drove to Colorado and went to a Broncos game and smoked free pot and, and still pass any bill y'all want, why do that you give correct. her and Dems the time of day? Well, I mean, because 
constitutionally, she has the right to file uh, file her 15 bills and represent her district. And, um, you know, that bill can be presented in committee. Now, the chances of something along those lines getting through committee and getting to the House floor are extremely thin. Um, and so, you know, we give them the time of day because that's the job and that's that's what they're there to do. Um, and, and it wasn't that long ago, only 2010 when the shoe was on the other foot. I mean, the, the Republicans have only had a majority in Tennessee for about 13 or 14 years now. So, um, you know, we we try to do things the right way. Uh, a lot of times that gets thrown back in our face. But uh, it, and Representative Bain is 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 new, but she's not new to the Capitol. Um, in fact, in the last spring, she was thrown out of, escorted out of the balcony by state troopers, and then she's coming back in now through the front door, having been elected to replace Representative Bill Beck, who passed away. Mm. And that's true what you say, only 12 years, and I think it was 140 years before that, before y'all took over. So you are right. You are cleaning up a lot of old messes, um, which may answer a future question I'm going to ask you if we have time. But um, HB 1634. Rep. John Reagan, Oak, Tree, Oak Ridge, where the Oak Ridge boys are from, this bill changes state's discrimination rules for teachers, removing a section of code that requires them to not discriminate against students based on race, color, creed, disability, sex, national origin, marital status, political or religious beliefs, family, social or cultural backgrounds, or sexual orientation. Instead, it would substitute language saying they could not discriminate against students based on family background or the student's membership in a protected class under federal or state law. It also removes the state's definition of gender identity and its codes on teaching family life. Um, now, that's a Republican bill, in my mind. Hard to believe in 2024 discrimination exists, but if we have to correct a law, okay. What are your thoughts, like I said, who controlled the place 140 years? What are your thoughts on that one? And um, isn't that what Jones, Pearson, and Gloria say they want? Why don't they vote with you on that unanimously? Well, I, I'm sure you'll be shocked to, to hear that I, I don't believe that that the Jays uh, squared and Miss Johnson always uh, want what they say they want, uh, or or clearly represent what it is that they're trying to accomplish. Uh, the bill that you're talking about with Chairman Reagan, who, by the way, is somebody that I highly respect. He's been uh, on the Hill for quite some time and has a uh, decorated background in the military as well, uh, just a, a, a peach of a man. And what he's trying to do is, is the first congressman or assemblyman from Tennessee I had on the show. So. Oh, excellent. Uh, but what he's trying to do is root out this this DEA rot that has gotten into our education system, both higher education and uh, secondary. And so uh, he and, and a handful of others are really leading the charge on that in, in the education committee. So uh, if that gets to the floor, I'm not on those committees. If that gets to the floor, that's something I will definitely be in favor of. So that would be K through 12 and colleges or just colleges. He's got, he's got two different bills going on the same track. That would be good. Okay. HB 1632. This is rep Gino Bolso from Brentwood here, uh, a Republican bill. <laughs> this bill would specifically give parents who want books removed from school libraries, the ability to file a lawsuit against education leaders. If they refuse to remove those requested books, the education leaders must be able to enforce the age appropriate materials act of 2022. You were involved in that one, which caused controversy for requiring teachers to log overtime cataloging books. It came up in national country versus four efforts by Republican lawmakers to ban books discussing LGBTQ plus whatever comes next identities and black history. 
uh, wanted to know what your thoughts on all that mess is. And did you know that the American Library Association basically has people on staff that demand all states that are in the library system provide these things? You'd actually be kicking them out of the state, which would be amazing. So a couple of different things. Uh, I'll start on the uh, American Library Association. So I've had conversations with our Secretary of State, uh, Trey Hargett, regarding that. And we we are not a member of ALA in the state of Tennessee, but we still need to take some steps to, to keep this, this stuff out of our schools. Uh, this particular subject is a big reason why I decided to run for this seat to begin with. And Representative Bolso and I have worked closely together on, on these issues, had a lot of conversations. I will be co-sponsoring that bill uh, along with a couple other that couple of others that he has coming down the pike. So uh, the bill that was originally proposed by Representative Sapicki two years ago, Scott Sapicki, uh, would have done just this, but uh, the powers that be and the administration, the governor's administration got involved and watered that bill down, put this uh, age appropriate uh, materials act in place and kind of stripped all the teeth from being able to enforce it. And so what Representative Bolso's bill is going to do, hopefully uh, when it passes, is put that teeth back into the law and give the parents the ability to really enforce this these provisions. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, good. Um, I wrote a bill once. For Washington State, they hated it. Tennessee, being the exact opposite of Washington, should love it. You want to hear it? Sure. It's short. The right of a person to refuse any medical procedure, treatment, injection, device, vaccine, or prophylactic shall not be questioned or interfered with in any manner. Equality of rights under the law or in the realm of public accommodation shall not be denied or abridged to any person in this state because of the exercise of the right under this section. What do you think? Pretty good, huh? Well, for those that like to talk about bodily autonomy and uh, my body, my choice, I would think that they would very much uh, be in favor of something like that. Could we get that gem into the Tennessee Constitution as a first in the nation, human bodily sovereignty and integrity? Wouldn't that be Republican? I think there's there's a, a great deal of support or would be a great deal of support for that. I've, I've actually had a couple of bills uh, last session dealing with vaccine rights and vaccination records as far as uh, having to produce the, your vaccine records, uh, one with the school system and one with employers. So there's a lot of fight going on at that still this session. And uh, there may even be a resolution being presented to try to um, amend the Constitution to deal with some of these issues. That would be great because the four amendments of the Constitution last time for a state that's this old I didn't like those. Um, and I think Abraham Lincoln would like that one that I just read you. Uh, it keeps with what Thomas Jefferson called the least imperfect and most Republican of the state constitutions about Tennessee. Um, you're a lawyer. Uh, what are your priorities this session? Well, I've got several things that I'm, that I'm hoping to push personally. And a lot of what I'm going to try to do is piggyback and assist and support some of my fellow freshmen that have some great ideas. But me personally, I have... Uh, one bill that, that I think will get a lot of support is it's a state preemption bill that preempts at the state level anything relating to these emergency protection orders or emergency extreme risk protection orders and red flag laws. Uh, there's a similar law that was passed in Oklahoma that they called the anti-red flag law. And, and of course, that's a little bit misleading. What this does, it doesn't say that we can't have a red flag law in Tennessee. It just says that we can't have 17 different ordinances 
at the municipal or local level that get adopted, that it has to be done at the state level so that we are having that conversation and control and so that, that the citizens and consumers that travel across the state from Memphis to Mountain City don't have to deal with 17 different rules whenever they cross a county line or a city limit sign. So mm -hmm. that, that's uh, the, probably the big one that I'll be doing. I also have another driver's license bill as it relates to non-U.S. citizens. Um, in Tennessee, we don't issue licenses to illegal uh, aliens or immigrants, but we do issue licenses, temporary licenses, to people that are here on temporary visas or whatnot. Uh, but there's not a real uh, clear delineation as to the type of license. So I'm going to redesign it a little bit uh, and have non-U.S. citizen presented clearly on the, the face of the license so that law enforcement knows that they're dealing with somebody that is not a U.S. citizen, as well as uh, in the event that, that something were to happen and uh, an identification like that was presented at a voting precinct and and this is going to make it easier for somebody that's untrained to be able to recognize clearly that they're not dealing with a u.s citizen that would be good because uh just a few days ago california allowed um illegal immigrants to become police officers illinois had done it uh not too long ago that's not a far drive from here tennessee tried to do it for some strange reason it died in committee thank god um you know relating to that jefferson comment i made each year, about 1,500 bills get filed and about 1,000 get passed. Jack Johnson was here last week on the show. He's the leader in the Senate, for those that don't know or didn't hear that show. He said it's really like 400 to 600 with the nullification bills, you know, one canceling out an old one or something. So you get maybe a lot that, on appearance, but still, uh, withdraw bills, et cetera. We're, 100, we're 200 years old. Why do we need so many dang bills to fix an otherwise perfect state? Not that I want y'all fired but you know thirty thousand dollars a year for jan through april it seems like too much tinkering uh you're right and and the same thing goes for the constitution i'm a little bit loath to continually go back year after year seeking to amend this constitution that as you say is is the least imperfect of them all uh because i don't believe that we are any smarter <laughs> probably a lot less smart than than the folks that wrote it um, and so I don't want us to get our fingers in the pie and mix, mix things up too bad. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of, of wall building where we keep adding bricks to the top of the wall and we don't take any out. And eventually it's going to get so tall that we can't see over it. Yeah. I showed some of the folks on the left that uh, like to, to engage with me on Twitter um, a graphic that we spend about a billion dollars a year in Tennessee on illegals. Um, definitely enough to pay for a lot of school choice since we only have three charter schools right now, but a billion dollars would go a long way towards that. Is there anything happening on illegal immigration in Tennessee right now? Well, and I think that I, I think that's where myself and several others are coming from in that we can't uh, preempt federal law as it relates to enforcement of immigration laws. But what we can do is change and enforce the laws that, that we do have here in Tennessee that we have control of through the 10th amendment uh, to where we make it maybe a little less hospitable to people that are coming here illegally and trying to uh, game the system a little bit. Mm -hmm. That'd be nice. Okay. Certainly not the magnets that are uh, other places like California, which I keep saying, do not California, your Tennessee. Um, I'm not the only one that says that by the way. Uh, so regarding school choice, uh, do you think what's being proposed, and there isn't a bill, so it's speculation, I guess, but the government might interfere with homeschooling and private schools if they get what they're talking about right now? Do you, do you fear for that? 
Well, that's that's one of my primary concerns. I think you may recall that I'm a homeschool father, and and uh, so I'm a big proponent of the homeschool community. Um, and that's one of the first conversations I had with our speaker regarding this this notion of of allowing or including homeschool families in any type of education scholarship fund. Uh, while it would be nice to have uh, a check from the state to cover costs uh, for books or whatnot, I think there's a, a mindset of that there, anytime you accept money from the government, whether it's state or federal, that there's going to be some sort of strings or regulations that are attached to that. Uh, and just generally speaking, the homeschool community is not super trusting when it comes to the government. We'd, we'd much rather you just leave us alone and forget that we exist. And so I think there'll be a lot of heavy, heavy debate with regards to the role that uh, this, this bill or law is going to have uh, in the homeschool community. And as far as private schools are concerned, we're already hearing from uh, really people on both sides of the aisle that uh, if, if we're going to regulate public schools and require certain testing and different things, and then we're going to give public money to the private schools that maybe they should be under the same uh, requirements. And my take is, well, let's just go the opposite and, and let's just treat the public schools the same way that the private schools are, lift all these restrictions, take this testing stuff away, let the teachers get back to actually teaching the subject matter that they were trained to teach. Is that bell calling you for a vote or something? Here, let me see if I can turn that off. I apologize. No, if that's your J job, that's quite all right. It kind of sounds good. Um, yeah, and you were one who jumped on immediately when the bill was saying uh, that the homeschoolers needed to provide um, their uh, vaccination records to the government, basically. And that made no sense since they're not part of that. Uh, and I was glad to see that you were able to, to knock that down. I'm pretty sure you were successful at that. Um, yes, that bill passed. It did pass. So yes. homeschoolers do have to report to the state, do they do not. Homeschoolers now, after my bill passed, do not have to submit their immunization records to their local education association here, here in Tennessee. Exactly. We love that. Negative rights. We like that. Okay. Um, so here's one I think is workable at best. Uh, I, sorry, unworkable at best. It's a Republican bill, um, but maybe privacy right violation at worst. HB 1614, Rep. Patsy Hazelwood, Republican Signal Mountain, enacts the Protect Tennessee Minors Act. The bill will require websites that show pornographic materials in Tennessee to verify users are at least 18 years old by either matching a photograph of the users to an ID or with transactional data like mortgage or employment documents. Websites would be required to hold on to seven years of anonymized age verification data and avoid anonymized, which is impossible, and avoid retaining personally identifying information. I don't want Facebook having my ID for seven years, and I understand pornography under 18, that's bad. We're talking about that in public schools and libraries, so I, it's a it's a conundrum, but I don't want tech, big tech company having my data for that long. Do you? No, I think that's a, a, a big concern, and I've actually talked to Chairman Hazelwood about this bill because, incidentally, I have a, a draft that's that's similar uh, and that we're dealing with age verification of minor for pornographic sites and obscene materials. Um, and I want to get together with her. I think there's some similar ideas, but 
I think we all think we have a, a, a better draft or a better approach. So I'd like to get together with her and compare notes and see if we can't uh, come to some sort of agreement, maybe pair these into one bill together. Um, I've been working with uh, Jamison Taylor from the American Family Alliance, and, and uh, this is something that's taken uh, ideas from a couple of different states that have already put this, this measure in place and, and creating something specific for Tennessee so that we can protect children from being exposed to things online, give parents a little more control over this situation. So um, I'm waiting for my draft to come back. Hopefully I'll have something next week and, and uh, I'll be able to file it and share it with you here pretty soon. Great, okay. And so what's something that's on the horizon where Davis County, your county would be uh, most uh, agreeable with or can benefit them the most? What are you, what are you working on to bring home the bacon to your constituents? Well, a couple of things that, uh, you know, Dixon County is very conservative. Dixon, uh, sorry, I said Davis, sorry. No, no worries. Uh, the Tennessean can't even get our name right in the paper. <laughs> so that's, that's a whole other story. Uh, but, but Dixon County is very conservative. Hickman and Lewis County as well in my district. And so a couple of things that I'm working on with the district attorney's conferences is maybe toughening a couple of things. One, for you mentioned the illegal immigration earlier. Uh, one bill that I want to try to get uh, drafted and filed this year is an aggravation of a criminal charge for a defendant that's determined or declared to be here illegally. So if a, a defendant is charged with robbery and they're determined to be an illegal alien, then it would automatically be upgraded to aggravated robbery or aggravated assault, which gets a heightened sentence. So I'm working with the district attorney's office on that. And then we're also, as you say, you don't Seattle, you're Tennessee, or don't Washington, you're Tennessee. Uh, this proliferation, particularly in Memphis and in uh, other urban areas where we're going out into the interstates and block, block, blocking traffic, either for, uh, you know, motorcycle rallies or um, protests of some sort, that, that right now blocking a public roadway is only a misdemeanor in Tennessee. So I want to upgrade that, get that to a class D felony so that we can really put some teeth behind it give our law enforcement and uh, district attorneys the ability to really start cracking down on some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Are you enjoying your time as a, as an assemblyman? Uh, you know, I don't know that you enjoy this so much, but uh, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm making an impact and that's kind of what I've told the folks here in the district that uh, as long as I feel like I'm having a positive impact and getting some things done that are good for our community uh, I'll try to stay up here and work for them as long as I can. But if uh, I get to the point where it feels like I'm knocking my head against a brick wall and not getting anywhere, then maybe it'll be time for somebody else to come up and try. You think if you're doing a good job, you'll stay as long as Randy McNally or it'll move on to the Senate or maybe governor or Senate in D.C. or state anything future uh, higher up in the politics for you? I'll stick with what I got right now and wait. And, at some point, hopefully I'll get good at it. <laughs> That's a good answer. All right. Well, Rep. Barrett, thank you for your second time on MCV, uh, being a friend of the show. Uh, we are at the end here. So tell everyone where they can go to find out more about you and, and follow your social media. I yeah, should sure. follow you. So you're the best social media in Tennessee, and I, I think out there. You're the only one who takes it to Gloria. Well, look, I do like to to have fun on Twitter, uh, particularly with my friends on the other side of the aisle. And it's, that's at Jody Barrett, uh, uh, or Jody for State Rep, I think it is, at yes. Jody for State Rep. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, all, all of the socials and uh, the websites, jodybarrett.com. So really easy to, to find me. And if you go to capital.tn.gov, you can find my uh, legislative page. All of my contact information is there as well. Very cool. Well, hopefully you'll be my third 
uh, representative of uh, the first and only third timer someday soon. So I hope to have you back and good luck back there with the, uh, the Jays. Thanks for having me again and uh, be happy to come on anytime. See you soon. Now here with Weston Martinez from Texas. If you live in Tennessee or the surrounding 49 other states, follow this program because when I talk about it's not Republicans and Democrats, it's patriots versus traitors, this is the patriot side of things. So God bless you and God bless this program. If you want to save our country, you better follow these guys. Thank you, Mill Creek View Tennessee Podcast. With Columbia, Tennessee-based EnergizeHealth.com, you lose fat fast, simply and naturally, without restrictive exercise or cardboard, dry, tasteless food. Revolutionize your health with this proprietary 88-day science from John and Chelsea Jubilee. People report getting off medications and reversing ailments. Energy, mental clarity, and alertness go through the roof. Look and feel many years younger and oftentimes unrecognizable. I know. I'm an alumnus and lost 70 pounds of fat with John and Chelsea and wouldn't have energy to do three shows a week without it. Hit the link in show notes for your free consultation and discount. Money back guarantee so you have nothing to lose but unhealthy fat. EnergizedHealth.com I don't Welcome to the Steve and Steve segment. It's going to be quick. Producer Steve, what did you think of our guest, Jody Barrett? Oh, oh it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, it was nice that you just had that nice little rope. Uh, um, oh, I don't know why they're doing that. Anyhow, um, I got sidetracked with the dean. Okay. He yeah, had his little dean going there. through there. Um, anyhow, uh, it was great. You did a little quick session of bam, 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 get through those questions. And is it four months? When's that start? Is it February or is it already in session? Started now? January 1st. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tuesday was the first day of the session. Um, and uh, yeah, we are, uh, we're in it and they're already causing trouble. So uh, you probably don't Uh-oh. see them out there, but uh, they, they like their voices heard. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. We have a new segment today, Murphy's Law, trademark, patent pending. I'm calling it. Producer Steve, have some theme music for us. He's gotten out. Now he's getting even. Charles Bronson. Murphy's Law. <laughs> Matt Murphy was born in a small East Georgia town in the fall of 1973. Hey, I'm older than you, bro. You need to show some elder respect to me. Um, Don't know how I missed that. After brief music stints in Augusta and Athens in Georgia and getting fired for talking too much at a country music station, Murphy took the hint and moved over to talk radio in Montgomery, Alabama as a producer of The Morning Show. Within three months, he was the afternoon drive host. In summer of 2002, Matt began a 19-year stint in Birmingham that included, in 2016, launching a powerhouse live and local FM news talker and assuming morning drive duties. The Murphy Show is fast-paced and highly opinionated, a special blend of political wisdom and entertaining water-cooler conversation. Matt appeals to people from the walk, all walks of life with intellect and wit. Mur- oh, yeah. Murphy specializes in turning sacred cows into mincemeat. 
not a vegan. Matt joined the IT, the team at Supertalk 99.7 WTN Nashville and Middle Tennessee three years ago now, which I found out where the signal ends because the second I headed down on the way to Chattanooga in the Smoky, I lost the signal. Full disclosure, I was listening for my advertising, but Matt is always entertaining too. He has a hound dog named Henry and neither get paid to come on this show. So there you go. Matt, how are you today? Hello, Steve. How are you? I'm doing great. It is a beautiful day in Tennessee. It doesn't feel like winter, and that's why I moved here. Um, okay, since this is the inaugural segment of the Murphy's Law portion, and hopefully you'll enjoy yourself enough to come back every month, um, I already did a biography show of you, so people can go back and hear episode 83 and find out about your Alabama radio days and strains obsession with Georgia football. But I want everyone to get to know you as well as I've gotten to know you. Uh, I'm going to cheat and ask you right from today's show of yours, the Matt Murphy show, what's your radio show mission statement? You know, it's funny. We were talking about this today and I felt the need to reset based on some uh, some discussion that we've been having about the Tennessee General Assembly and what it means to be a good conservative, what it means to be a good Republican, what it what being a libertarian means and how is that differentiated between uh, you know, libertarianism and conservatism. And, and and I look at my mission statement as to be a voice for people. Um, I want truth in government. I want openness and transparency in government as best as we can get it. And I want to be a voice for the people. So I, I want to present news and information in consumable bits and entertaining, hopefully entertaining and consumable bits. Uh, but you know, most more than anything else, I want people to take something away from that, maybe be a little more informed and a little more engaged, uh, because in order to keep the freedom and liberty that we so enjoy given to us by God and certified to us by the Constitution of the United States, we have to be uh, paying attention enough to protect it. Uh, otherwise, there are entities out there that want to steal it from us. So I, I just I'm in the free speech business, Steve, and I believe in free and open speech and debate. And I think that fosters a better government and by extension, a better community. That's what I do. I don't know if you know this, but the original motto of this show was what is a Republican? So you and I are exactly on the same page. And the whole joy of coming to Tennessee from Washington State is to say that's not a Republican. This is if you can keep it. Um, when when they looked around the world to replace Phil Valentine, who was a legend and, and died during COVID, why do you think Cumulus and Supertalk, I guess, more more probably specifically found you? Well, I'm certainly cheap, Steve. <laughs> um, you, you know, I I had been a part of the Cumulus, uh, the broader network of uh, the Cumulus family for a while. And I, I think it was. Um, a combination of things, but primarily I understood the way that Supertalk worked because I looked towards Supertalk when I was developing our talk radio format in Birmingham. So I had the opportunity to act as a program director for a radio station in Birmingham. And as we were, we were on the AM signal only, and we were trying to build our brand a little better. And I was asked what we needed in order to do that in a speedy fashion that would make us some money. And I said, look, uh, there are a couple of properties that Cumulus is familiar with that work and Supertalk was one of them. This was six years before I had the opportunity to come to Nashville. And so when I made the, the quote unquote pitch 
to convert a 100,000 watt music FM into a talk station, I use Supertalk as an example. I said, this is the way that you do it. You do uh, local programming from morning to night. Uh, you have different personalities and allow those personalities to drive important conversations for the community. So I think that gave me my research there and my understanding of what I felt like Birmingham needed, uh, gave me an understanding of how they were doing things in Nashville. And I think that translated to Dan and the other powers that be in, in the corporate structure that made the ultimate decisions. I, I just think that I was, uh, all the time that I was in Birmingham, I was preparing for an opportunity to come to Nashville, honestly. Awesome. Yeah. I don't know how they did it without you. Um, so what is, and why are you a libertarian? Well, the libertarian philosophy of government is simple, that government serves best when it serves when only absolutely necessary. Uh, why am I a libertarian? Because I own me. And and I, I go back to an age-old, uh, it, it, it's an age-old question. It's a rhetorical question that was posed. I originally heard it from Neil Bortz uh, when I was 17 years old. I just got into college at West Georgia College in Carrollton. I was exploring the radio dial, and I found Neil Bortz out of Atlanta, Georgia, and at the time, he was on WGST, and he eventually transitioned over to WSB. And, and he asked a question pretty early on in my listening, is that who, who owns you? Um, you know, and, you know, for a lot of faith-based people, they would say that, you know, that God and, and their faith and, and Jesus Christ has a certain level of ownership over them. But from a, a governmental standpoint, I think it's an important question that we all have to ask ourselves, who owns you? Well, for most people, uh, they would say that we own us, I own me, and that I should be able to determine my individual fate and chart my own course uh, through my own um, work ethic and, and my own character uh, without interference through government. So I believe that government should only intervene when there are other people that are trying to deprive me of my life, my liberty, and my own pursuit of happiness uh, and through force or fraud. And if they do that, then that's where government should and ought to step in. Now, obviously, they've got to be rules of the road. And we all set up rules of the road with regard to, um, you know, our policing and how we're going to do that or our governments and how we're going to do that. And so I, I think there's some level of confusion as to, you know, where the line of libertarian in, libertarianism ends and when the line of anarchy begins. I think that's on one side of the libertarian spectrum. On the other side is conservatism. And with a recognition that I own me individually, I also recognize that you own you, Steve, and others own themselves so I do not have the um, I don't have the power to, through force of government, tell them how to live their own lives. So if they're not directly affecting the lives and health of other people, then I don't think the government should be involved in some of that decision making. So that kind of is what informs me um, when I'm dealing with a lot of these issues where I fall on should government intervene or not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wish everybody was smart enough to be able to do that correctly, but that is a good philosophy. Um, there's another guy that has been on this show twice. Uh, when I first moved here, he's the first candidate I sat down with. Actually, I think he was episode one um, in the Tennessee show. Yeah, he was. So 170 episodes ago. Okay. Um, you have issues with his charity Tennessee stands and your libertarian beliefs. He would say he's patriotic, maybe MAGA these days. Um, no idea if he likes Trump, but he certainly calls out rhinos for not being as pure a Republican as he says he is, and he happens to be from Texas. Anyone who's listened to the show knows who I'm talking about. Uh, what do you have against that kind of politics, the the call out a rhino if you're a Republican politics? Well, I don't, I don't know what a rhino is. Uh, and I think I think one's definition of Republican in name only depends on what piece of legislation we're talking about or what position 
that we're talking about. So um, I understand if someone is not acting and has not acted in a conservative manner, running as a Republican, and you're calling that out. And I think that's where the term originally came from. I think now when we talk about rhinos, um, we're really just talking about people that we disagree that we have disagreements with. Um, and I kind of harken back to the Reagan philosophy, although I'm not a member of the Republican Party, I've never claimed to be. I would like to believe that Republicans want to welcome more people into the Republican Party. And in order to do that, one would expect that there are going to be certain disagreements. I understand that there are certain lines that there's an expectation that conservatives or Republicans are not going to cross. And those are two different things, conservatives and Republicans. But I would I would think that there are certain lines uh, that we would say, hey, you know, abortion is an easy and good example. Um, if you are going to be a part of the conservative movement or in the Republican Party, the expectation is, is that you're going to be largely pro-life. However, I would note that the leader in the Republican Party right now said just last evening uh, during his town hall that he had some disagreements with certain Republicans about what, how far to go with regard to abortion policy, whether you should make exceptions for life of the mother or rape or incest, or if a four or five week fetal heartbeat bill is the way to go. So the point overall that I, I would make is that I think there should be room for disagreement. There are some people uh, that seem to use this term as a bludgeon uh, and suggest to their followers or their listeners or their podcast watchers that if this person or that person has a disagreement with how best to achieve certain things within the Republican Party with me, then I'm going to declare them not a real conservative or not a real Republican. I don't think that grows the party. I don't think that grows the movement. I think it pushes people away. I think you lose far more than you gain. That individual might gain a certain level of power or influence over the people that he's talking to, but it doesn't do any good in terms of governance. You have to win elections. And if you turn enough people away by saying, if you if we agree on 98 things and we disagree on two things, then I'm going to declare that I'm the real conservative and you're not. Well, who are you to say? I mean, who are these folks to say that they are the arbiters of what is a Republican or what is a conservative and what's not? I, I don't know where the rules are, frankly. Mm -hmm. And I, I and and I'm, I'm waiting for someone to show me what the rules are with regard to conservatism or republicanism. So, I mean, that, that's the exception that I take. I can um, show you. I can show you. This stems from Williamson County's first partisan election for school board two years ago, the exact same race that that guy was in against the majority leader of the state Senate. There's a guy that ran as an R, but is anything but. He fooled everybody from somebody who's currently working very closely with Andy Ogles to the voters themselves. Total damn fake. That's what I think some of the folks here who talk about rhinos are talking about is almost like wolves in sheep's clothing versus, oh, you're a Reagan one, you're a Bush one, you're a McCain type of Republican. So there actually is a broad element to the whole thing, but we'll talk about that another day. Um, didn't you accuse him? No, accuse, strike that. Uh, that's inflammatory. Didn't you report he was working with Justin Jones, who you can't get any further left in on this whole voice vote rules thing that you spent a lot of time on this week? I know I asked him if he had ever if he had ever sat down with Justin Jones and David Ritchie to formulate uh, the plan to accuse conservatives of somehow not being transparent in government in the General Assembly in the state of Tennessee. Mm -hmm. I was told that he was a part of a discussion with David Ritchie and Justin Jones. 
I asked him a question and he answered it. Okay. And was it yes or no? I do. I do know that um, Humble has had discussions with David Ritchie. I also know that David Ritchie has had discussions with Justin Jones. So um, Gary Humble says that he has not had discussions with Justin Jones and I take him at his word. Okay. Yeah. I just didn't understand, but super talk. But I, but I don't think there's any dispute that David Ritchie has spoken with Justin Jones about the issue of transparency and that what he was inspired through those conversations with Justin Jones to suggest new rules regarding committee votes in the general assembly. And so that happened. And we also know that Gary Humble has been in discussions with David Ritchie regarding the same matter. So that happened. So I do not think that it is beyond the pale that I would ask a simple question. Hey, no, that's your job. Gary, are you working with this liberal Democrat in order to push an agenda that you both agree with? And in a minute, we'll talk about school choice and how there may be some issues there, too. But um, Super Talk, uh, pretty much the conservative voice in Middle Tennessee radio, Brian Wilson, and before that, Phil Valentine, Dan Mandis, formerly Pamela Fur, now Chris Hand. Where's he from, Texas? Uh, Hand is originally, I think, from Massachusetts. Massachusetts okay. uh, he's been in he's been in Murfreesboro for a good amount of time. He was in uh, he was music based radio for a good, good while. Um, and then went uh, and worked at, uh, uh, what is it, a Turning Point USA. I think he still works there uh, okay. on a part-time basis, maybe even a full-time basis. Um, and um, he's in Murfreesboro. So he's originally from Massachusetts, I believe. Although okay. a lot of his listeners, because of his uh, because of his accent, think he's from Canada, which I think is. <laughs> a, uh, so I, I bring that up because those names are obviously conservative voice. Um, what's your take on local media? Um, this is a supermajority red state with the voters and most people moving here like me are conservative minded. Most are. But the media, Channel 5, the Tennessean, uh, Channel 5 is actually a distant third in the networks. But, um, you know, you know what I mean, right? Liberal media like Seattle and New York, but less people listen. It's a bad business model. What do you make of Tennessee local media not not catering to their their masses, their their, their voters? Yeah, it's it's a fascinating thing that I studied quite a bit when I was in Alabama. Um, as you mentioned in the bio, I was in Alabama for all, well, about 20 years. And I was regularly fascinated with whether it's electronic or print media. At the time, you know, they were printing newspapers. Now it's all online. Uh, they didn't seem to like where they lived very much. Anytime they talked about <laughs> politics, they seem, I mean, they seem to want to be anywhere but Alabama. And and so you say, well, why are you here? Why don't you move somewhere that's more reflective of your values? Like I see conservatives and or libertarians doing quite often, uh, moving away from blue states and into red states. And no, 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 we've got to we've got to change the hearts and minds of the people that are around here. And I think I think to myself, well, I, I understand um, having your own opinions about matters. That's one thing. Uh, but having your own opinion and telling the people that disagree with you how ist they are, whether it's, you know, racist or sexist or chauvinist, uh, which is the tendency of local media. Uh, what I see now in, especially in local news and television news, um, I see less emphasis on hiring people that have any grasp of politics in this community. And I think that a lot of these young buck reporters are just regurgitating what they think is so. And they're coming out of schools that have taught them this liberal basis of understanding how government works. So I don't even know that there's any malice. I just think they don't know any better. Now there's oh, some. Man. I have a. There's some that do. My, there's some that do, Steve, and you know who I'm talking about. It channel before, five. and and I want you to hear it. But before I, I I let you, I was invited to a presser for Marsha Blackburn here in Franklin, and I was there with the 
quote unquote, mainstream media folks. And they were awful. They didn't even know what they were asking. They didn't even know why they were there, or what she was doing there. So I got three questions. They each got one and I dominated the whole time. And I'm not even a reporter. I'm just a podcaster. So you're right. They, they're fresh out of school. They don't know what they're trying to do. And they're trying to play gotcha and they're rookies. Uh, it's embarrassing. So, okay, tell us about Channel 5 or whatever. Well, I mean, and, and, and you you have those. And then you have some of these old school um, guys or gals that um, that they're kind of more legacy-based media. And they there was a time when they were the only game in town. And, and I think you see this far more on the national front, but it is a, a local issue too with Phil Williams and Channel 5. And I'll just name him. I mean, we know. I mean, and, and Phil will tell you, well, I'm an investigative reporter and I've gone after Democrats too. And sure, I call that the exception that proves the rule, right? Of 100 people, you've gone after two uh, Democrats and 98 Republicans, and that proves that you're uh, nonpartisan and unbiased. Yeah. Yeah. And right. The party didn't so, even like those guys. Yeah. Right, right. So um, and I think Phil harkens back to the day that, um, you know, if he said it was so or if he came after a, a, a politician, he was going to destroy them. And there were not other voices that would present different sides of the story out there. They are not accustomed to uh, the Mill Creek View podcast of the world. They're not they're not even necessarily they for a long time just cast what we did in talk radio kind of aside as, oh, they're just they're in conservative corner. And they don't really matter that much. Well, uh, internet voices matter more than ever. Podcast voices like yours matter more than ever. I think our voice continues to matter. And we are competing in the arena of ideas now. And it, instead of welcoming those chorus of voices, uh, Williams and his ilk want to shut us down or pretend like that we don't exist. And I just yeah. think it's a fool's errand. And I think it is that has contributed mightily to the degradation and uh, of local news, especially local television news. And let me tell you something, Steve, if it weren't for, and I'm not knocking them, you know, God, you know, for the most part, I just, I wish them well, but if it weren't for sports and weather, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think these newscasts would exist much anymore. Uh, During a tornado. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying, I mean, Heidi Campbell canceled on me last minute. Alice Rowley came on. She made it past the general. Heidi didn't. I'm just saying she could have. Influence, I'm just a podcaster. Influence. You got it. And it was also, she ran away and I got to tell people that. And you know, Freddie O'Donnell did too. So I'm not going to say that I'm a kingmaker or a king, you know, destroyer, but she could have come on and she might've got a little legs. Um, and I asked too, because I think the politicians are still afraid of them. You know, I talked about how this is a super majority state, conservative voters, conservative news. They have it. They go on your show. You can text just about everybody from what I can gather. Why are they afraid of the, who cares what, what Phil Williams says. I mean, these guys, as long as they're not lying, cheating, stealing, or killing anybody, why do they even bother with the left media? You know, uh, Donald Trump was able to show, punch these guys in the nose, and they actually fold. Not really, not literally, please, no violence. But, you know, just ignore them or fight back. Uh, Vivek just did it recently. He shredded a Washington Post reporter. That's how you do it. They showed mm -hmm. us how, but are they just not good enough? Well, I think there's some of that going on. There, there's a, a fear factor that that occurs. I mean, when it's dealing with somebody like a Phil Williams, I think some folks are uh, afraid that he's going to dig up some sort of skeleton in their closet or whatever. Or maybe they're afraid that he's going to uh, he's going to turn something against them uh, in a way that that's unforeseen to them. I, I would agree with you that Donald Trump has the right approach, but I would remind everyone that Donald Trump he makes himself available to most of these platforms, uh, so he says that he doesn't care the way that Fox News does its business, and yet he's on a town hall with Fox News. He wags his finger at him, 
and tells them when he thinks they're doing wrong and when they're doing right. But he is there, present, accounted for, and uh, quick enough in his own mind uh, to have the ability to understand the premise of the questions that are coming after him. You know, um, the late, great Rush Limbaugh said that we need more politicians that choose to reject the premise before they answer the question. In other words, embedded in a lot of these questions are certain premises that are absolutely not based in any sort of truth. And if we would stop the report and say, okay, we need to talk about it, much like Vivek did, we need to talk about the premise of your question first before we can address any of the this misinformation that you're doing on the back end. I think you need more, a lot more of that. I, I don't think they're nearly as important as um, as some politicians believe that they are. They have access. That's one thing. Uh, you know, they have cameras and faces at the state capitol. It matters. Uh, but um, but I think you'll slowly see more uh, political figures in the era of Trump come wise to the idea of you know we don't have to accept. Uh, the premise of the question in, in order to get our point across. As a matter of fact, quite the opposite. We need to turn it back against them. Yeah. And Cameron Sexton really pissed them all off by sticking them in the corner yesterday. And they didn't like that at all. No access to the elevators, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I saw Jack Johnson giving a little bit back more than he was getting. So maybe they are coming around. Um, I got time for one more. I'm so glad we're going to do this often because I got kids with you. You do it three hours a day. I get 30 minutes uh, a month now. Um, okay, a new report ranked Tennessee the 12th worst state for drunk driving based on the Forbes advisor report released last week. 26.75% of traffic deaths in the volunteer state are caused by drivers with the blood alcohol concentration of at least 0.08%. You're on radio. You have a ton of car listeners. I listen to you in the car. Uh, tell them to knock it off, will you please? Let's drop that to bottom 40 next time this year. Is that a good deal for you and I? Yeah. And I, I, I'll tell you a quick personal story, Steve, that I'm ashamed to relate. And one of the reasons that I related as much as I do is because I encourage people to be more open and honest about their past experiences in order to inform those who have not gone through this. I, I was in college and like a lot of college kids, I, I did my, my damage at the bars. Um, I was stopped one night when I was a junior in college, got arrested for a DUI, spent a night in jail. And it was the it was incredibly embarrassing, incredibly expensive. And for a long time in my radio career, after I was a talk radio host, I, I shied away from uh, any discussion about this experience. And I realized that it was important to relate it to people because now at the age of 50, I feel so blessed that all that happened to me was that I had a DUI uh, because what could have happened to me is I could have killed somebody or I could have um, if seriously hurt somebody. Uh, it is not worth it. And in the era of Uber and Lyft, my goodness gracious, you have zero excuses. People get a ride home, call a friend, call an It's ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. There's zero excuses uh, for uh, being under the influence of some foreign substance to get behind the wheel of a car. All right. I look forward to hearing you tell people on the show that. Um, and tell everyone how they can follow you and hear your show aside from once a month on the MCD. Well, I love uh, Mill Creek View. Um, you know, I get the opportunity to talk about Steve quite often on the show, and we get to talk with Steve quite often on the show. So I love what he does. And anytime he invites me on his show, if I'm available, I am here. You can find me on the socials at Matt Murphy Show on the X Machine. That's what I call it because Elon Musk said don't call it Twitter anymore. So it's the X Machine. It's at Matt Murphy Show. Please follow me there. That's where I spend most of my time in the cesspool that is the X Machine. And you can find me daily from noon until three, either on 
Super Talk TV or on the radio side of things, Super Talk 99.7 WTN. Stream us wherever information is streamed. Awesome. And Murphy's Law. All right. Well, Happy New Year. And we will look forward to seeing you in about 30 days. Absolutely. Hey, y'all. My name is Tori Venable. I'm the state director of Americans for Prosperity, Tennessee, and you're listening to the Mill Creek View podcast. My name is Tom Anko. I'm a freelance writer and a staunch conservative, and you're listening to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. Time for my quotes for the day. Before I share, I want to remind everyone to subscribe to Mill Creek View podcast. Just go to Rumble or Spotify or iTunes, search for the Mill Creek View and hit the subscribe button. I really hope you like it. And you can join the conversation at Mill Creek View on Twitter and Facebook anytime until they deplatform me. Radio, the wonderful invention by which I can reach millions of people who fortunately can't reach me, Milton Burrow. A good radio show will captivate you and it's active listening. It's not in the background. Rush Limbaugh. On some nights, I still believe that a car with the gas needle on empty can run about 50 more miles if you have the right music very loud on the radio. Hunter S. Thompson. That was the big thing when I was growing up, singing on the radio. The extent of my dream was to sing on the radio station in Memphis. Even when I got out of the Air Force in 1954, I came right back to Memphis and started knocking on doors at the radio station. Johnny Cash. That's it for this episode. Thank you, Jody Barrett and Matt Murphy for reminding us politics can be fun and not always so serious. This is goodbye for now. I'm your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of mcview.us. See you all next week. Peace in our time and glory to God. county fair They were looking for America behind every turn Flying the very colors that so many love to burn I'll cruise the countryside with my dad and my brother Row after row of cotton and corn Moving through this place just like Any views or opinions represented on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creator and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the creator may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.